1: Before we get started with the episode, we have a new sponsor that we would like to tell you about. I'm very excited that they are joining House of L. It's BlueChew.com. That's right, BlueChew.com. And just so you don't have any preconceived notions, BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. If you're one of those guys that needs a little bit of extra confidence when it's time to have fun you should go to bluechew.com. Most guys don't want to talk about anything having to do with ED, and trust me, the folks over at bluechew.com completely understand that. But the sexiest thing is to do something about ED. The sexiest thing is for you and your partner to have an active and fun sex life, and bluechew.com can help you with that. You want your opportunities to count. Understand that with this, there are no embarrassing doctor's visits, There's no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your front door. Even that, it's in a discreet package, so you don't have to worry about anyone getting into your business that doesn't need to be getting into your business. If you don't like swallowing pills, don't worry. They've got the Blue Chew tablets that are chewable. Get it? BlueChew.com. So if you find that you're lagging behind a little bit and you just don't have the same type of confidence that you used to, and you want to get back in the game, BlueChew.com is the way that you can do it. We've got something for you. If you use the promo code L at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's it. That's BlueChew.com promo code L to receive your first month for free. If you're in the market, if you need it, if you want to go back to having a good time and not having any of this stuff like on your head, BlueChew.com. And now, let's get down with the episode. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. Man, this episode here, woo! Fire! I think that you are going to enjoy this week's episode. Uh, it's with someone who has done a tremendous job of. Blazing a trail for himself in Chicago media. If you know anything about this podcast, you know that I'm a huge fan of the WGN Morning News. Full disclosure, I occasionally pop up on the WGN Morning News. If they give me enough time and Pat has had a scheduled day off, I'll go over there and do the sports. The old sports aru. It's always a learning experience for me because you're surrounded by the number one show in Chicago. Like, people watch that show. They watch it religiously. And our guest is a big part of the reason that people watch. Our podcast, by the way, is brought to you by Relio's Pizza. It's the sauce. You know this. So happy that they are on board. You should be, if you are going to get pizza, you know the deal. This is one of the oldest pizza places in the area. Aurelio's been around for a long time, man. And part of the reason that they've been around for a long time is that they give you good product. And if you've got, if you're looking for work. Or you got a young one that's looking for work, I know that they're hiring, that they're looking for people. I mean, the Homewood facility is huge, so they need a lot of people to get that up and running, especially now that there are less restrictions now. So there's some opportunities, If not just for great pizza, but for a great start on a part-time job. I've, I've had friends in high school that worked at Aurelio's, and they loved it. And strangely enough, those people still love the pizza, which is weird because usually when you work in a restaurant, you get tired of the food. That is not the case with Aurelio's. So whether you want to eat good pizza or you want to get yourself a a good gig, Aurelio's.com, they can help you out. I'm partial to Homewood and the Old Oven, but any of their locations, you can get it done. Aurelios.com. It's the sauce. Paul Conrad has been a staple in the homes of Chicagoans for almost three decades now. Whether it was CLTV or what he's been doing over at Channel 9, he is the person that gets you ready for the day with the weather and usually with a smile and a laugh and sometimes with a wink and a nod. He is an incredible comedic performer who happens to be a meteorologist. His timing is impeccable, and the way that he works with and off of others cannot be denied. It's why that show is as good as it is. So I wanted to dig into the mind of Paul Conrad. He's been one of the people that I've always wanted to to talk shop with on the podcast. Realize that he and I talk shop quite a bit when I end up over there. I'll explain that a little bit later on in the episode. But I wanted to get his voice and his advice on the podcast so you could hear how he's able to do what he's been able to do for a quarter century. I'm so happy that he said yes. When you're talking about people who are working morning shows, finding windows to do interviews with them is not easy because they got to sleep. But he was nice enough to give me some time on this episode, and it was well worth it. Here's my conversation with Paul Conrad, and we start off with him talking about the longevity that he's had over at Channel 9.
2: I've been there 25 years. I think same for Robin and Larry, maybe 28 or something like that. So we've just kind of fallen into our routines, and our relationships are all pretty comfortable. And but um, we love when you come in; we really are grateful for it. I'm going I'm trying to turn my dinger off on my watch here, so I'm not <laughs> listening to it nonstop here through this interview. There That's, we go. Got it's, it.
1: it. It's all good. But bef- I I do want to talk like broadcasting with you and performance yeah. with yeah. you. But when I see you. Whether we're talking in between segments or I see you on social media, you are a constant force, like in your children's life, like and it's not yeah. it's 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 everything that they, that they're a part of. I I want to know like what's that feeling like? Like you've you've given of yourself, and it's not just just doing the fatherly stuff. It's being involved in a bigger way than just being a parent? Why is that important to you?
2: Um, Yeah, you know, I think one, I get uh, so much joy out of the time that I have with my kids, Um, but I also want to give them the best opportunities that I can, right? And so uh, I think it's been like 15 years ago, my wife and I, we live in the West Loop and we've been wrestling at that time You know, we had young kids. I've got four kids, and my wife and I were wrestling. Boy, can we stay in the city and still give our kids uh, some of the experiences that we had in our growing up? So I grew up in Naperville back when it was a small farm town of like thirty thousand people. My wife is from San Diego, and so uh, we just had a lot of those things available—kind of that suburban childhood stuff, right? And when we Um, started looking around for like t-ball for my son 15 years ago we found this neighborhood baseball program and that baseball program and us getting involved with it kind of became this pathway for us to develop great relationships with families and like we found community through the sports there like great community that um All my kids have been in it. So my youngest daughter is now 11. And um, I think, uh, Lawrence, is that the reason I've been so involved is because when 15 years ago, when we were trying to figure out if this could make it work for us, it wound up being like this huge answer to prayer. We can stay in the city. We can have fun. We can raise our kids in community and uh, have great relationships. And I want that for other. uh, I've gone through so many neighbors here in my building in the last 25 years. I want for not only neighbors to be able to get in and do that, but I want anyone in our community to be able to say, hey, I've got a safe place where my kids can go and play f- ball and have fun and be safe and uh, experience the joy of sports. And like, for, like the joy parents have around watching their kids play t-ball or whatever it is, I just love it, right? And so I'm tickled to be a part of, I'm a part of this youth baseball program here in the city. And I love serving it because I feel like it's really a great thing for our community, and it's important to me. And I love coaching. I love having the the fun of coaching.
1: When it comes to youth sports, there are so many, like, dark spaces where youth sports can go, and a lot of people feel like they get priced out. I sense what you're talking about is, like, the apotheosis of what we would want from youth sports where there's the feeling of community that goes with it. Why is that so important to you like that? Cause you kept coming back to that word. And I think it's a great word to, to have, yeah. like that should be the concept. It should be community based.
2: Yeah. I think the problem becomes, um, you know, there's so many of these for-profit um, baseball programs, these travel programs where you spend $1,500 and we'll take your son and make him better. Well, For years, you know, in our baseball league, we'd have some pretty solid players and then we would lose them to the travel programs. And so um, you would lose some of the kids, but the families that couldn't afford to spend $1,500 felt like they were getting a subpar experience. And um, for me, like we always wrestled with, do we put our kids into this travel stuff partly because I think it does play on the hopes of every, especially every dad who's like, if I, I wanna give my kid the best opportunity, I'm willing to pay money. And I will be honest, a lot of those programs are really good and they're, they're helpful and they advance uh, kids in their skills. But for me, I think I have a heart for, um, I do have heart for the inner city, right? Like I want for um, families that are just struggling, for us to be able to come alongside them and say, hey, we have a spot for you. And not only do we have a spot in our neighborhood baseball program, but we're running a pretty quality program that your son or daughter will get better through being involved with us. Ultimately, we're trying to equip them to get them into high school sports, softball or baseball. Um, and that's, there is a challenge there when you're trying to build a quality program and some of the better athletes keep getting peeled off to do the travel stuff. But we've kind of lost community. It's come at a cost, right? It's come at a cost of these neighborhood programs, not having all the kids from the neighborhood in it, partly because you, they can't afford it. And partly because the kids who have a ton of money or have access to financial resources, they don't have to have a ton of money, but if they have the access, then they can play uh, at a different level and a different kind of thing. So our league, we're trying to fight the fight um, and it's an uphill battle. Uh, But the other part of it, and I'll be honest with you, the thing that we've been pushing, we kind of had a restart in our league about a year and a half ago. And we have been pushing what we're calling, we're we're calling ourselves a values-based baseball league, softball league, where we're at a point where some people are like anti, they get nervous when you say, hey, we're going to be values-based. And all we're saying is that we're going to care about things like character, we're going to care about things like citizenship and developing like championship skills and habits that we're not going to we there's not a huge likelihood we're going to be champions in the state of illinois but there is a possibility that we can help kids develop championship habits that they'll be able to use for the rest of their lives whether it's in sports or not in sports um and so that stuff you know, I, I was somewhat reluctant as we were rolling it out, but what I have found is that, like, the this community, is, and I think parents are starving for that. I think they're tired of seeing the dads yelling at the umps and umpires being disrespected, and umpires like getting umpires these days is really hard because there's it's not all that rewarding the amount you're getting paid and you're catching a lot of it from the parents. You're like, why would I want to sign up for that? And I've had my boys ump, (laughs) which (laughs) is that it, it, that's like the best thing you can do as a dad, if you're a coach is have your kids ump because it changes the way that you interact with umpires. But we just, I really feel like um, our community needs that kind of stuff. We need like, this is a real specific thing for me, but, and there are, guys all all over the end of the spectrum on this stuff but like this scenario where um if we're telling our coaches that we want you to really focus on character and to me character is being honest and truthful and fair that like i'd like to see our coaches go to the 13 year old umpire before the game and say hey listen i'm pulling for you and i want you to know that i'm going to help you uh, if there's a fair ball or foul ball, I'm going to be honest with you, even if it's at, if it's at my team's expense, because I really want to metal f- model fairness and honesty and truthfulness to not only the kids, but I'm going to make that a higher priority over us, whether we score runs in an inning or not, right? And that's, that's um, there's some coaches and parents that kind of think this is part of the gamesmanship of baseball that you work an umpire over and over again and maybe you can do that at college and professional level but, but you know at eight nine year old kids i don't think that's the best way to go about it right let's give let's give the 13 year old freshman or eighth grader a shot you know to have them believe that adults are going to be
1: honest with him right does that make sense i completely makes sense and i there's been a lot of talk about these people who are, are volunteering, and it's usually like a volunteering to either coach yeah. or umpire, like the idea that they would be susceptible to cheating your kid out of something as they're making 10 bucks to umpire right. a game. Right, right. Like They've is, got a secret agenda. Right, it, it, and it's it's preposterous, and I think that there needs to be a place where they understand that it's appreciated. They they're there and that allows for the game to take place. And there's tremendous value in just that.
2: Yeah. And I will confess um, it's easier said than done, right? Like, because I think every coach that we would have, as we sit in a meeting at the beginning of the year, they would all say 100%. I buy into that. That makes total sense. But when the game is on the line (laughs) and like the, to me, it's kind of the beauty of sports is that there's so much passion and energy that people are carrying that much uh, that they're willing to kind of you know, bend things a little bit because they've got so much energy and excitement around something. Uh, it, it's harder to execute than you think it would be. And I can relate with it. Like I remember early on with my son when he was playing, like I just wanted him, it, it was really that I wanted him to have success And I wanted him to win. And I wanted it um, because it was gonna help me feel better about myself as well. And I think the older I've gotten and the more kids that I've seen go through it, um, I'm, I'm certainly understanding of that energy that comes along with it. But I also feel like, you know, we can do it better. We can just kind of really say, hey, this is the truth and be comfortable with the truth. And the truth is we just lost that game because it was a fair ball and it's fine, right? So, but anyhow, long answer to, I just love sports. I love this part of modeling and trying to develop character in kids. And, you know, in our league, there's a lot of um, single family homes, right? There are either moms who are raising kids who don't have dads in the picture. And to me, I'm like these, what an opportunity for a coach, right? to have a young man on his bench that he can encourage and speak positive truth into and put his arm around him and just kind of be that guy, right? And so um, I I just think it's a a win-win as long as we're doing it right from the right motives
1: uh, and with kind of the right heart behind all of it. You said that a big part of this is your kids, like you wanted them to have a, a sense of community but i feel yeah. like it probably goes a little bit deeper so where where does that come from where you're saying i want to i want to model and i want to do a, a good job of being a good citizen in in building up my community where where do you think that that originates from in you uh,
2: you know for me it probably ultimately becomes it comes from my faith in christ i'm a christ follower And um, I think what I've seen over the years is that the truth of the words that Jesus spoke, like when you read them, you're like, "Ah, this stuff makes so much sense." You know, this idea of being compassionate and merciful and kind-hearted and um, caring for the poor or the needy or the widower or the orphan, whatever it is. So here's this may help a little bit also. My mom grew up in an orphanage. Um, she was dropped off with her four brothers and sisters when she was seven years old, uh, out in at Mooseheart, in outside like Batavia here, and so she grew up, you know, living um, in a house with thirty other seven-year-old girls. That she was separated from her brothers and sisters, and um, I think just, but you know, they would see each other daily. But you know, they were, she was living in an orphanage until she was eighteen. And um, so I think I have a heart, right, for kids who kind of have some pain in their lives. And I also had the blessing of like, my dad was a good model of caring for um, people who uh, needed help. Uh, So when I was growing up, there were all these Polish refugees coming to Chicago and I'm the fifth of seven kids. So our house was jam packed. And I remember my dad, driving in from Naperville into the city and he'd have a name of a family that just had arrived and he's like, we're going to take this family in and we're going to, they're going to live with us. I'm like, listen, there's already three of us (laughs) in one room. (laughs) I don't know how we're going to do this. The pickets are
1: already slim. How are we going to make this work?
2: Right. I'm like the line for the bathroom at this joint is already (laughs)
1: long. I've been
2: down to the McDonald's here. Like, He was a guy who could have made a ton of excuses. He was a guy who could have said, you know what? Our house is full. Things are tight for us. But his faith and his heart for uh, people in need, it was just, he was a great model to me. So um, I think kind of those three things ultimately probably drive uh, the heart that I have for helping kids um, in the city. And uh, to be honest with you, it's fun for me. I love it, right? It's a joy for me. Uh, to see the lights go on for kids playing sports. And I get joy out of helping their parents uh, have fun with it all. So that's where it's at for me.
1: I just texted my mom. My parents are both teachers. My my dad was a college yeah. professor and high school teacher. My mom taught second grade. I just texted my mom because as we're recording this, I'm coming back from class uh, yeah. at, at our alma mater, DePaul University. And I told her, I think I am the best version of myself when I teach. Uh, yeah. And I'm hearing that from you, like with, with the coaching element, that yeah. it, it allows for there to be an opportunity for you to strive to be better and to share. And it's amazing what happens with students or with players when you see the light click on. Like yeah. when you see them go, oh, that's why coach told me that. Yeah, that's why the professor Holmes told me that. And and now they can put it into practice. There are not a lot of better feelings on earth than when that light clicks on.
2: hundred percent. Yeah. It's that joy of cheering others on and their successes, which, frankly, we don't. There's not a there's not a ton of that going on culturally. I think there is individually, but the perception is there's a lot of pissed off people out there who are trying to tear everybody down. And, uh, so like there is joy in helping somebody and seeing them have success or a breakthrough. Um,
1: and to me, that's what it's about. When did you know that you wanted to perform?
2: Uh, yeah, that's uh, another interesting, <laughs>
1: that's a, that's an interesting story. So, um,
2: my dad was an Austrian, uh, gentleman, And, uh, from the time I was three, I was part of my, my mom and dad, uh, had us as a family after dinner, my mom would get a guitar out and she would have, and my dad taught us all these Austrian folk songs. And so we'd sit around the table and we would sing Austrian music. Right. And, um, somebody asked if my family would sing at some function. And my parents were like, yeah, (laughs) we'd love to. And that began this thing in my childhood where I was the, uh, kid in the Conrad family singers, uh, that we performed really until I was like 19 uh, years old, traveling the country like German beer festivals and in summertime, like we would do that. And so some of that bug started then I kind of recognized ah, this is where I have some skills that uh, I'm a good performer. So um, it started there and that was kind of this, I became comfortable being in front of people at an early age and that kind of, opened up doors, I've got my undergraduate degree as an acting from the Goodman School of Drama at DePaul. Um, It's now the theater school. Um, And uh, my, I think the end of my junior year, I kind of realized, I don't know that I really wanna be an actor. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I'm like, I'm in this conservatory program and I thought i will just finish it off and figure out what I'm gonna do from there. Um, and then I got into grad school at Northwestern and got my master's there. And I still didn't really, I, I wasn't interested. I got it in radio, television, film. I wanted to get out of the acting thing. Cause I'm like, I, here. so I, I was doing all these auditions uh, for being as an actor. And I was doing auditions for films that I didn't like, uh, that I didn't want to be associated with associated with. And so, like, there was, I had this moral kind of um, battle going on inside of me. For instance, this is the one that really stirred me up. There's a movie called Casualties of War, which I'm not a movie guy, in any. I'm not a, I'm not a media or pop culture guy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but me and my friend, this guy named John C. Riley, uh, both went to the audition. And I'm reading this script and the scene that they have us audition with is kind of this rape scene of this girl. And I'm reading it and I'm like, this is awful. I don't want to do a rape scene. This is like, I don't know that I would even want to be associated with this, even if I got the role, which I don't know if I would even, I, you know, I did not get it, but I remember just feeling like, oh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life kind of not when you're an actor, you're not Unless you're a huge star, you're always auditioning for everything and at the mercy of. And so I remember there were a couple of times where I went in and I think this was one of them where I knew I didn't. I intentionally wasn't trying my hardest because I didn't want to get cast in it. And I remember kind of stinking one up and then going to another audition literally a week later. And it was the same casting director. And I thought, oh, no, they just saw my crap audition a week ago. They're they're gonna dismiss me right away, and I didn't get in either. Of the, I didn't get any either of those. John Riley got into casualty as a board and has gone on to have an amazing career. Um, but um, that performance thing um, has been in my childhood for a long time. It was in my college experience, and kind of after that, I kind of thought I got to find a different avenue where I can perform. I'd like to get paid. Uh, regularly. I don't want to have to be a waiter and hope for something to hit. And I didn't love it that much, to be honest with you. Uh, But I felt like I was really well equipped uh, by the training that I got at DePaul uh, back in those days. So I went to grad school, got my master's, and then I took my first job in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, Uh and I was, I don't want to, brag because saying I was in Montgomery is a little bit of an overstatement. Technically, uh, I was in the Selma Bureau of Montgomery. So uh, I, you know, I started off there as a news photographer shooting video uh, of, you know, in Selma, there wasn't a lot going on at the time. Every so often they got a new bicycle rack that I could go and shoot. You know, the this, this press conference got a brand new bike rack. That's going to be out in front of Selma high school. I'm like, all right, I'll cover that. I'll get you the
1: video. So anyhow, it all goes back a long, long time. When did weather get to be a part of this? Uh, yeah. So
2: um, uh, I remember this very clearly. I um, got a call as a photographer I lived in Montgomery and I worked in Selma and I was on my way home. I had already had what I didn't think was a great day. And I got a call from the news director of the, on a scanner, this is pre-cell phones, uh, that there had been a shooting that um, I needed to stop and get video. There was a 16 year old boy who was shot and killed and I needed to get the video. And ironically, like literally I was blocks away so I pull up and there is the dead 16 year old boy in the front lawn and the medics, he was dead. And they had just put the sheet over him. And his mom and sister were in complete hysterics. Uh, like they just had lost everything that mattered to them. And I get out of the car and I'm like, oh God, this is awful. This sucks. You know, I think I was 22 or 23. And um, like, I was really heavy hearted overseeing this. And so I sprayed the video and um, I got an interview with the police, the police information officer, whoever it was there. And so I called the station, said, I've got the video, I'm on my way back in. And my news director says, did you get an interview with the mom? And I said, no, um, she's in really a bad state and I don't, um, really feel good about interviewing her. And he says, well, I just watched her on channel 12 and you need to get the interview. And I'm like, uh, I don't think I can do it. Um, I just don't have it in me. And he said, okay, well, turn in your gear. You're done. Uh, you're, this will be your last day. And I'm like, oh all right, I'll go get the interview. Um, So I have to muster the courage to go up and talk to this lady who just lost everything. And I'm going to ask her for something um, that really wasn't that important in the realm of where she was at that time in her life. And the only thing that I could think of that I could say with any kind of justification of talking to her was, I walked up to her and I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. Could I just talk with you on camera? Maybe there's something that you can tell us about your son uh, that will help us find who did this. Uh, Would you be willing to talk to me? And she talked to me, but I felt filthy. And to be honest with you, I didn't believe what I was really saying. I was just trying to justify a way to get the interview. But I felt like literally, I felt nauseously sick over who I was in that moment, because what I really wanted was just give her a hug and say, oh, this is the worst thing that could happen. I can't even imagine the pain that you're in, but that's not my job, right? And I so a report that's a reporter's jobs and some of them are great at doing it. Like I have a hard time putting that boundary down of like, so I, it was very clear to me, I shouldn't be a reporter, right? Like that's not the right field for me So anyhow, long story, I go back to the station, I turn in the tape and my best friend at the station was the weather guy. And so I go back and I'm talking with him. I'm like, this sucks. This is like the worst thing. And it's just not for me. And he was like, you need to come back to this weather office. This is where uh, you can live in this industry. You can have control of your life. Uh, You can um, get paid better than the reporters are getting paid. You have some normalcy. And um, this is a safe place in the news business. You really have more control in the weather office outside of severe weather days than any other space in news. And I'm like, all right, I'll share <laughs> sure. it. That sounds interesting. And he said, I will meet with you twice a week and I will train you and teach you everything you need to know about forecasting and how to get this stuff on air. And so for the next two years, I met with him uh, Twice a week for about three hours, he was unbelievable. This guy's name is Paul Morrison, um, and um, about a year and a half into it, we lost our weekend weather guy and weekend weather guy, and they were doing a search. And I said, "Hey, can I have a shot at it?" And they gave me a shot at it, and um, I got hired for it. And so then I started taking these correspondence meteorology courses through mississippi
1: state university it's always mississippi state or iowa state right yeah
2: yeah which back in 19 this is 1989 1990 where like it was a different kind of correspondence it's like literally you've got a book and you've got to write all this stuff out and you had to go to the national weather service office in montgomery do the exams there with them and then send your stuff in. Like it was like as old school, primitive kind of correspondent school as you could ask for, Um, but it was helpful for me. And uh, eventually I wound up becoming the main weather guy at that station, my buddy left. And then in 1992, I believe, um, there was an opening at Chicagoland Television News. The old CLTV was just starting up and they were looking to set up a weather department. And I was the first hire and um, set up that weather department back in the day. And um, spent two years there, then went two years to Tampa, Florida at the ABC station. Loved it there. And then I came back here 25, almost 26 years ago and um, the rest is history. So it's been, it's a long performance journey.
0: And to me, like,
2: uh, I'm, I feel perfectly comfortable over the years, all this um, the years of forecasting, like I feel really comfortable with my skill set. And uh, I also feel like I have a little bit of an advantage because I think my uh, comfortableness in front of the camera and kind of my view of effective communication, I think helps me out maybe more so than a guy
1: who's just got a straight degree in meteorology. As I've told you, BlueChew.com has become one of the sponsors here at House of L. And you're like, Lawrence, what's BlueChew? Well, look, if you're a man that's been dealing with some of the issues of not having enough fun or not having enough confidence in the bedroom, BlueChew.com can help you out in that regard. Why? Because they've got a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in a chewable form get it it's blue chew so if you want to get back in the bedroom and you want to bring some confidence to the table with you bluechew.com and right now we are offering a special deal specifically for house of l listeners try blue chew free when you use the promo code house of l at checkout All you're going to pay is $5 in shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code house of L to receive your first month free. They deliver it. It's discreetly delivered so that people are not in your business that you don't want in your business. And they've got chewable there. It's ready to go. It's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. So do it. Blue it, chew it, and do it. I just made that up. Is Blue Chew going to give me extra money for that? I don't know. BlueChew.com. Free trial. If you use the promo code HOUSEOFL, go to BlueChew.com. And now, on with the rest of the pod. The morning show runs like clockwork. Like, that's my observation, like, just kind of as someone who occasionally parachutes in. But your level of comfort with the material, I'm always amazed by it. Like, I'm always, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm always watching you from across the studio. And I'm like, wow, like, he is just on it. And your timing is amazing. So, I, I think that there's something to do with the, the level. I know it's not as easy as it looks. I know that there's a ton of preparation that you're putting into what you present on the air. When was the moment where you felt like I've got, I'm inside that nexus of, I know what I'm talking about and I'm comfortable with the people that I'm working with and, and I'm comfortable with the material and presenting it.
2: Yeah. It maybe was during my time in Tampa. You know, um, Tampa's like the best uh, weather market also. like Pretty great. <laughs> like Every day, like there, there would be long stretches where I never even had to change the graphics. Every day it's 90 <laughs> degrees. There's a 30% chance of an afternoon shower and thunderstorm. An overnight low of 70. Like that went on and on and on and on. But I had a couple guys there who were mentoring me who also just kind of built into me. Like, yep, you understand it. You got it. And then at GN... Uh, it's probably within the first five, seven years that you really start feeling like, okay, I've got my comfortable spot here. I will say this, like I work in the house of skilling, right? So there's part of me that um, feels like even I was at, at, there's part of me that feels like, you know what, I still, there's part of me that like, I have no right being on TV at WGN because of like this guy understands every little detail and is so read, thoroughly knowledgeable on like everything that there's probably this like, I'm embarrassed to even be in the same office with this guy. I'm going to sneak out of here be someone, before someone finds out I'm a fraud. <laughs> so, you know, that stuff just keeps playing in your head where you're like, boy, well, I don't know. I'm not really qualified for this job. Uh, but I think yeah, obviously uh, it has worked for the last uh, 25 years. And I think the part for me also is that there can be doing mornings is so different than doing any other day part where people, frankly, all they want to know is, do I need my coat today? Or uh, what do I need to take? How do I need to take care of my kids? I don't need to get into explaining, you know, an occluded front or uh, people don't care at that time of the morning. Plus, they get everything off their phone now. and, And frankly, they don't need us. and so the more concise that we can be and really just kind of communicate what they generally need. Like lately I even, like we run through each temperature at Midway and Crystal Lake, all these other places. And there's part of me that's like, I've not been really a consumer of watching TV weather guys, but like generally if it's between 40 and 45, that's all I need to know. It's between, if it's 43 in the West Loop and 44 at Midway, and I don't have a differentiation. I'm like, Oh, wow. I'm a degree. I should put on an extra pair of underwear. I, I think we sometimes get overly too specific and take ourselves and the content too seriously. I think people, especially in the mornings, not at night are just like, yeah, give me what I need to know. And let me get out
1: of here. Get me out the door with the things that I need. And I got it from here. Yeah. Here.
2: Which I think we should be able to do in 45 seconds to minute 15. Right whereas like skilling and he does the 10 o'clock or nine o'clock it used to be there were times he'd get 10 11 minutes of airtime, and like it's a great primer you can sit there and learn so much every day and people love him for it but in the mornings people don't have that kind of time right and so it kind of matches my personality perfectly also i'm like listen here's the generic version of what you're gonna to need to know. And if there are probably 20 days a year where we need to go into more length and those are the great days for us. And I love those days, but for the majority of days, the other part of it is in TV news, like, do I need to give three minutes of weather when we're giving a minute 45 to what's going on in Ukraine or, you know, you pick a, a significant story. So I'm probably one of the rare weather guys who's like, listen let's do the news i'll give you exactly what you need to know we've got the crawl running i'm sending out texts let's let's be efficient in what we do
1: i am fascinated by the wg and morning show because of a lot of different factors like i'm a i'm i'm a huge fan of dean and robin because of radio like i love that they transition from radio to television and they're huge stars larry is like the consummate Pro when it comes to doing the news, like he wants to do the news, and I was talking with Pat about this a, a, a few days ago. The amount of performers, like actual in front of crowd performers, there's you, there's Anna, there's Pat, there's Toomey. It is if if you could draw up a morning show, it probably would look like this. But most programmers are afraid to do a show like this. And I I love that you guys do that type of show and you lean into that aspect of it. How did how did you guys get comfortable with each other and with the environment of we're just doing the news? We can have some fun with it.
2: Yeah. So I think like I remember early on our general manager, because the show was new, they were not stressed out about ratings they were like let's just give this a couple of years and let this thing grow see if it can get any traction right whereas these days there's not quite that much patience with it right and we also had the benefit of everybody in town was doing straight news and there was a space there to do kind of a personality driven corny goofball news and entertainment show And Tribune had started this out in L.A. at KTLA, maybe 30 years ago. And uh, the guy who was our general manager had just left KTLA and came to Chicago and was like, we're going to try to do this thing in Chicago. His name was Peter Walker. And Peter gave the show space to be irreverent and to break the rules. Right. And um, that was a courageous for him to do. Uh, I don't know that there's space for that anymore in this day and age for people to take that kind of a risk. Um, But I remember um, clearly having this conversation where to me the most interesting part of a newscast was only when like the teleprompter went to hell or the set fell over uh, or something unplanned happened because all of a sudden you saw Guys, Smiley have to recover and do something. And 99% of them didn't know what to do because they're so worried about playing this role of being the news reader that they had detached who they really were and what they were really thinking from it. And I'm kind of like, listen, that news is boring and it sucks and it's all being controlled by a producer who's just writing words and this guy's executing it. And it's not interesting. It's the same and everyone's doing it up and down the dial. What happens if we break some of these rules? What if we start talking about other TV stations on our air? What if we do something, we did this stupid thing where some guy jumped out of an airplane with a parachute dressed as a salsa chip. And his goal was to land into this big you know, blow up bowl of salsa. And we followed him from the second he, we stayed with him while he was in the plane. He jumps out of the plane. We follow him with Skycam 9. And it was one of these stories that you're like, huh, this is, I've never seen this before. And we don't know how it's going to end. Like you hope he's going to hit the salsa box, but he could end up on the Eden's Expressway. You don't know how these things end. And to me, there was some magic there where you're like, Everything is so pre-planned, down to the second, down to the fake laugh. Here's our kicker story about the squirrel. And now everyone's going to giggle. And all of it is 95% of it's fake, right? And so we were given this freedom and this space to kind of say, hey, let's break some rules. I used to wear this big ass curly wig. And when it came time to, we'd go around, hi, I'm Larry Potash. Uh, this morning's headlines are this and Robin say, I'm Robin traffic on such and such. And I'd put on this stupid wig and go, I'm Bob Surratt. I'll give you the latest on the weather, right? Like and no one was ever referencing that there was other people in the market, right? And we just were given the freedom to screw around and break the rules and be honest and authentic. And when you're kind of out there and vulnerable, you only have each other to work with. And that created this trust Uh, between us that we were kind of like, and management didn't fire us. Um, And Bill Weir um, was awesome. Like working with him was such a treat. This was 96, 97. Uh, But just having some really creative guys who are willing to just go out on a limb and do something different, break some rules. And it's kind of in some ways been the hallmark of our show. We're like, ah, things really can, things go wrong on our show for some reason all the time. Um, and they're not planned, but at least we're like, ah, all right, the lights are out again. Uh, we'll make the best of it and we'll try to forge through. And it's more interesting than going to commercial break or putting up color bars.
1: Do you still think of it as fun?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. For 25 years now, I'm, I feel like I'm, um, it's, it doesn't have the excitement for me that it, it did have. But um, I still really like enjoy, there are these great moments of banter back and forth and uh, we get to create some fun things along the way. I started out that Conrad in a van bit uh, that gave me a little extra energy. And, but I've been tossing weather back and forth with Robin and Larry for 25 years, you know, <laughs> for a long time, right? And so there is part of me that you're like, you know, the it's um, any job after a while, it's got that fatigue to it, right? The other part of getting up that early in the morning all the time, that combination of those things can wear you down. But I still like, I still look at it as we're gonna have some fun today. And I hope that we, I'm gonna laugh. Here's the other thing. Um, The news blows, especially living in Chicago. Like I, I don't wanna wake up ever again, right? To hear about another child shot or another house fire that someone was killed or whatever the scenario is like more often than not when you wake up in the morning there's bad news um and i don't really i want to know what's going on but that's not really the imprint that i want to have when i start my day uh and so we've kind of viewed that as our morning newscast belief that we have to do the news but you know what let's have some fun let's give something beyond the bad news that people when they go to work and talk with their coworkers. They can say, did you see the hairdo that Robin has or what Larry said to her or whatever it is that we can have fun. And like, we've got to do the news. We've got to do it legitimately. We've got to do it better than anybody else. Uh, And I don't want to have people be jumping off their roofs out of misery at the end of watching our show. And I think that's been the balance that we've been trying to
1: develop. When it comes to the, early morning aspect of it yeah do you still like is your body are you in touch with how to wake up early or is it still a grind for you to get up early and and put your face on and get out there
2: so this is the absolute truth in all the years of me doing this shift never once have i woken up before the alarm and gone Whoo, I feel rested and I am ready to go. It's going to be a good day. Every time that alarm goes off, I'm like, "Holy crap! I could have. I just went to bed like ten minutes ago. What's going on?" Like it is a, it's a, the hardest part of the job. It you know, the best part is that I'm running out of that studio by eleven o'clock every morning, but that getting in there part is that's the hardest part of the job. Like on Thursday, I'm thinking, "All right, I just got one more day where I got to wake up early." till I get to the weekend that's 25 years of it. It just, it takes its toll on you physically. Like you feel fatigued all the time. It's the best job on the planet. So I'm I'm not complaining, I'm just saying there are consequences that come along with it that you don't, um, that aren't easily escapable.
1: You live in this creative space over there. Yeah. It offers you an opportunity to do a lot of different things, try stuff out. Is there anything outside of that space that you would want to try that, that you think you, you, you have enough time to create something like, you know, Pat had man of the people. And I thought that that was pretty cool. I think you're one of the most creative people in Chicago television. Is there something else that if, if you were given the opportunity, you'd want to explore?
2: Uh Artistically probably not. I feel like I'm, I get enough of my fill on that. I am involved in a, yeah, I got this baseball thing going on, and then I'm also involved in a big project with my brother out in Aurora, where we're trying to transform, or we are transforming an old abandoned hospital into a uh, like a medical complex that has um, a residential center for adults with intellectual challenges, um, people on the autism spectrum. Uh, and then a senior living component. So like um, for me right now, because I feel like I've really exercised that artistic and communication muscle for as long as I have, I really like business also and fixing and changing things. Um, And so being a part of this development thing out in Aurora has kind of stirred up some new uh, spaces in me that I've never really, done before. Like I'm not, I haven't, I'm not a construction guy, but my brother's in construction. And so like hanging out with him and seeing things get built and learning that stuff at this season of my life, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I've enjoyed that part of it. Do I have a future in construction? Not a chance, but uh, I do like kind of learning and seeing and exploring new things.
1: Last thing I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give students that are trying to figure out if they want to be in this business,
2: nah. yeah, I think I would ask them why do you want to be in it? Uh, because if you want to be in it uh, because you think you're going to become rich and famous, um, you may want to rethink that whole thing because I'm afraid those days are long gone, right? Um, but if you want to do it because you feel like it might match your skill set, and it's something that you get satisfaction out of, and there's enough reward there because you love it and you love this idea of doing these things, pursue that. Pursue the joy of the work. Don't pursue this thinking, I'm gonna become a TikTok star or a TV star. Maybe you could become a TikTok star, I don't know. But um, you gotta pursue what you love because if you're chasing the money you may get the money, but you still aren't going to have the satisfaction of kind of being fulfilled and doing work that you were maybe created to do. Does that make sense? My wife always talks about my wife was a producer at WGN and uh, she came to Chicago from San Diego and she was a great producer and she's like the most conscientious. She detail oriented, really does things well. And I don't know, 10 years, 15 years into the business, she like, I got to Chicago, I was producing at NBC, I was producing at WGN, and I had these great titles. And she goes, truth be known, turns out the job, I was great for the job, the job really wasn't great for me. And I got to the top of the mountain, turns out I was kind of on the wrong mountain. Mm. And um, like she still writes and does her things that bring her satisfaction. And I actually think that her, she was pursuing it the right way, but I, what I don't want people to end up is like, Hey, I'm on the top of the mountain ah, and there's nothing really fulfilling here. This isn't really what I was made for, or gives me what I want to have. My old man worked at Caterpillar Tractor for 35 years, pretty much hated it every day. And like, as a kid, I remember thinking, ah, I don't want to get stuck with that. I want to find joy In the work that I do, I want it to be rewarding, fulfilling, and meaningful in some form or another, and I don't want to be miserable. And so God's been so generous with me to give me this position uh, at GN and to keep me around for as long as I've been there. So I'm just like, I'm grateful for it, but I do want to encourage younger people, pursue the passions of your heart. Don't pursue the money or the fame. It's It's not meaningful in the end.
1: Sir, this was better than I even imagined, and I imagined that it would go great.
2: Uh, Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you again for inviting me. It's been great.
1: You are more than welcome to my podcast whenever you want. Um, Thank you again for what you're doing out in Aurora. Thank you for what you're doing for the kids of Chicago. Like, that's significant stuff, man. It really is. joy.
2: It is my joy.
1: You can hear in there why Paul Conrad is very well-liked by just about everyone who knows him and some people who don't know him like his personality and his conviction the way that he comes across on TV you can hear it in talking to him about things that have nothing to do with television and i'm i'm really glad to know him it's i don't feel like i'd be talking out of school if i if i shared this that paul and i one of the reasons that i wanted to have him on the podcast is obvious you just heard the episode but we have these really incredible sometimes intense conversations when I get the opportunity to go work over at Channel 9 and I don't mean I, I don't mean like high by like walking into the studio yeah there's that but he has gone out of his way to help me out and talk me through some stuff and ask my opinion on things and i remember one time we were just having a conversation in the parking lot like both of us were he was going home and and i was going over to the score to to go do the radio show and we talked for probably 20 minutes about a lot of things and it's that approach like the way he is on the air like it's There's a giving spirit to him, and I I think that it comes across in that conversation that we had here on the podcast. As I explained to him, I am in awe of that morning show. Everyone tries to do what those guys do, but because they have so many talented people, it's hard to replicate that, man. There's a level of freedom that has been established, and the success behind it is so cool. Knowing that they're always number one. Like, they're always the number one choice for people in the morning because they have a little bit of everything. They take what they do seriously but not themselves seriously which allows for self-deprecation and a lot of fun. But like I was saying to Paul, I start with Dean and Robin because I'm of radio. So those two are, I mean, I don't mean to blow up anybody's head, but those two are idols to me. Seeing Robin transition from what she was doing on radio back in the day and being on the Kevin Matthews show and all that stuff to being Chicago's anchor in the morning and Dean like his resume speaks for itself like the fact that that guy speaks to me when I'm in the building I find remarkable (laughs) and he always says hey we're happy to have you here like he's he's a good dude and that whole crew like that whole crew treats me incredibly well And I'm not just saying they do it for me. They seem to do it for everybody. But you can't duplicate that, man. You cannot do it. But I love that Paul is steeped in his faith. Like, I struggle. I I struggle a lot with my relationship with faith. And you've heard me talk about that on episodes previous, like I grew up Catholic, I'm, I went as far as one can go in the Catholic church without going to seminary, and there was a brief amount of time that I did think about going to the seminary, I had some wonderful professors at DePaul, like religious professors that were very open-minded with struggling with faith. And usually the way that they combated it was by showing you different types of faith. And I've always respected that because, you know, Catholic priests, that's not necessarily something that you think would be in their study and what they would suggest to students at a Catholic university, but it 100% was my experience, but what I like about Paul talking about his faith is that it's faith in action and not just words that, that we are seeing him put forth the concept of community and good works. A lot of people talk that, that mess. Like they, they talk it, they don't walk it. And Paul is out here walking it. And, To me, when you have people who have devout faith and are willing to share that faith, if the idea is to build community through faith, I'm here for it and I support it. And I think Paul's out here trying to do that, and I respect that wholeheartedly. So I thank you for listening to this episode. Like, that's the sauce right there, man. That's the sauce. You know, Aurelios, it's the sauce. You know what it is. Man, my mom hit me up last week and said, hey, Aurelio's is still one of your sponsors, right? I said, yes, they are. And she goes, well, we're going there tonight. She went to the, I think, the Mokina Aurelio's. And she got, she sent me a picture and she of the pizza, and she got a salad. It's a tremendous pizza. You should go get some. Aurelios.com. It's the sauce. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I know I am. Half pepperoni, half sausage. I go with a small, not a little, maybe a little. because They have the teeny tiny ones. That if I'm doing like lunch, that's what I do. But if I'm doing dinner, I get a small, half pepperoni, half sausage, whole pizza, old oven, homewood. I'll drive for it. I don't care. Even with gas prices, I don't care. If I want my Aurelio's, I got to get it. Aurelio's.com. Go get yourself a pizza tonight. Big thanks to Paul Conrad for blessing the podcast. That's a big deal. That's a good get. Glad that he was on. We will have all sorts of stuff coming up on the pod. We appreciate your support. Support the people that support us like Aurelios. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for checking out what we're doing over here. Talk to you next time. Peace.